Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about, in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive, and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com build. That's chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now, today I want to tell you guys about something called Toolbelt. Toolbelt is the eBay of home services. We all know that getting stuff done around the house kind of sucks, and Toolbelt saves everybody time and money by easily connecting professionals and homeowners through a bidding system. Post pictures, videos, and a description of your project, and the best professionals can bid for the job. Do you need a room painted, lawn mowed, house cleaned? Post anything from the smallest of tasks on your to-do list, all the way up to full-blown remodels. Improve your home from your phone with the best pro at the best price. And if you're a professional, you can join the Toolbelt family. You'll get 100% of your bid, guaranteed payment, and build a portfolio of work. Best of all, you also get to rate your customer. Go to toolbelt.com, that is T-U-L-B-E-L-T dot com, to register for free or download the Toolbelt app from the App Store. Toolbelt, join the family, let's get stuff done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a pain, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a good friend of mine. This is Robbie Starbuck. He is a director and also a film producer as well. So welcome to the show, Robbie. Hi, thanks for having me on. So I've done a super brief intro there, but tell the people a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, I'd say the briefest, you know, synopsis I could give on my career is um, I started out as a music video director. And then um, at a certain point, I was turning down video. So I was like, wow, this is not very smart of me. I should find other directors and give them, you know, the work that I'm turning down. So I started signing directors, created my own production company. um, And eventually we grew into a full-size production company doing commercials, music videos, documentaries, um, supporting feature films, all types of stuff. So, um, you know, that's that's sort of the basis of the work side of things. But then a couple of years ago, um, I'd say 2015, I really came out um, uh, and became very vocal about politics and came out as a Republican, um, which was sort of a shocker in, in my industry, you know, so um, 
that's been like the sort of road I've navigated over the last few years is how to be open about my politics while at the same time being in an industry that is not traditionally very friendly to the beliefs that I have, you know, and the more sort of conservative ideas I have. Awesome. So I want to get into that in a little bit more detail, but um, first of all, I want to learn a little bit more about your, about your life. So I know of course you're a, you're a Cuban American. um, And I think people would be interested to know before we're getting into anything, you know, political or about your beliefs or anything like that. I think it would be great for people to get a little bit more background about who you are and, you know, your family background and your sort of story, because it's very interesting. So I would say, you know, my, my background, it is kind of intrinsically tied to my belief system, you know, and I think it's that way for anybody. Mm. Um, Because my, my mom, my grandparents, um, I guess that's, it would start before I was born. Um, My mom and my grandparents um, and great grandparents, my, my abuela and bisabuelos, they all were in Cuba. They lived in a place called Ciego de Avila. And um, at the rise of the revolution where Castro really came into power, um, they lost everything. So Castro um, and his revolution took away their, they had a small family farm that only my family worked. You know, this is one of the things leftists will come back. They'll say, oh, well, your family must have had slaves. My family had no slaves. My family worked this small sugar farm on their, on their own. Um, is a very remote area where they lived. Um, they had their car taken, their farm taken, their all of their possessions and their money. And basically, the deal was: if you hand this all over willingly, we you'll be allowed to go to the United States. Well, you'll get a plane ticket in return. Um, mm. And they were actually they didn't take boats. They actually got a plane ticket and went to the United States. And they literally brought nothing except for the clothes on their back. Mm. Um, there's actually one of the sort of minor details of that that always stuck with me is that with my mom, they told her she could bring one possession and um, like one, one memento or item with her. And so, you know, one of the guards told her that and she picked this doll that was given to her when she was really little. She wasn't little anymore, but it was something that meant a lot to her. Um, and so she, she took that. And when they got to the airport to leave, uh, that same guard that told her she could take that took that doll and broke it because she may have been hiding money inside of it. And there was no money, of course, inside of the doll. It doesn't even, it's like nonsensical in the first place because there was nowhere you could stuff it in. But, um, you know, so even that one last thing she had that meant a lot to her because it was from her uh, great grandparents that were no longer alive. You know, even that was not something, you know, that they could value in that at, at that point in time when they had gone so far left and another thing too to note my family they were not bautista supporters either so they were not supporters of the previous regime they didn't like either they didn't like bautista they didn't like castro mm-hmm. they they were pro just freedom they wanted a free country where people were able to to you know sort of live in peace and be free um and that's something that you know was dangerous to the regime so you know coming here my family's values sort of got passed down, you know, so my, my great grandpa was pretty old when he got here already, but he had nothing. And he saw himself as like the leader of the family. So he worked jobs as a janitor. He didn't speak English, um, you know, but he learned English within a few months. He worked two jobs as a janitor, double shifts. And, you know, that sort of work ethic and that belief in the American dream grew out from there. And, you know, my great grandparents, my grandpa, my mom, they, they built decent lives for themselves. You know, I didn't grow up, you know, 
in an upper class. They didn't grow up in the middle class even, you know, but they lived good lives. They were happy people um, and they're good people. And they always were there to help people. And most of all, they believed in America. They believed in the values that made it special. And, um, you know, sort of getting to know how leftism tore apart their home. Um, that really, you know, that's something that I think gets kind of branded into you, mm. uh, especially the type of grandparents I had. My grandparents were more like parents than, than grandparents. Okay. And so what they went through and the visceral sort of nature of it really got pretty deeply branded into me. Um, and it made me really think deeply about what my kids' futures would look like, you know? Gotcha. No, that's, uh, that's super duper powerful, man. And uh, when they came over to the U.S., whereabouts were they living? Or was it multiple different places? They, they started in Florida. So okay. Florida was where it at. So my family now, my Cuban family, they're spread apart between. Some of them are still stuck in Cuba. Um, mm-hmm. So at the time that my family initially left, my grandpa had sisters who had family reasons that they had to stay because there were people who were um, not doing well and needed to stay. Um, and so they ended up staying. And then over time, you know, it's one of those things where you weren't able to come legally anymore um, in a simple way, you know, and they weren't healthy enough to be able to take the boat route and do the wet foot, dry foot. So they were sort of, for all intents and purposes, stuck there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even my, my grandpa, who's, who's, you know, really old now, he still goes back to Cuba on a humanitarian basis to bring medicine and to bring like essentials um, every other year to bring stuff that they need and he'll bring as much as he can, you know, to, to sort of help them. Um, but then some of them are in Florida still in Miami area. And then, um, some of them are in Orlando and some of them moved to California. And so, uh, really the ones who moved to California were my great, my great grandparents and my grandparents and my mom. Okay. And, um, they built their life here. So they're the only ones who came to California. And then some of them, some of them are in Costa Rica too. Okay, cool. So you yourself, you grew up primarily in California, is that right? Yeah. Okay. And what was that like for you? Um, You know, California, I fell in love with California as a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, to be like totally candid. I loved it. Um, And it's sort of weird because, you know, I moved to Tennessee last year. And what brought me to Tennessee was the realization that the California that I loved no longer existed, Mm. you know, and that's, that's something that was sort of, it took me a long time to process, but I actually realized it had not been there for a long time now for years. It had sort of died slowly. And, um, the realization of its death is weird when something dies slowly and all of a sudden you just don't recognize things anymore, Mm. but you're, you're sort of like searching for that little piece of reality still being there, but it, it just, you couldn't find it anymore. Yeah. Um, in what, you know, ways so, you, in what ways did you find it changed when you talk about California changing or, you know, the old California dying? What exactly do you yeah, mean by that? I mean, you could, you could just look at just what you see, you know, the, without getting into energy and the way people behave and, and, you know, all of that stuff, you just look at what you see and, and it's so different now. Um, everything in terms of development now is based around um, these ideas. There's barely any nature you see, first of all. You know, so everything's built really very tight and you know, built for high compact migration. You know, and that's sort of what's continually happened in Los 
Angeles. Okay. You know, you look at uh, the homeless encampments. Now, you know, it used to be there was Skid Row and, and all of the homeless issue was sort of relegated to Skid Row and they dealt with it there and there were shelters there and it was not really a high profile problem. Um, now Skid Row is everywhere. Mm. So, you know, you drive on the freeway off the 101, the main freeway there, that drag, you have homeless encampments off the freeway. Down in Orange County, off the 55, you have homeless encampments that are gigantic. You know, you go down Hollywood Boulevard, there's literally tent cities, you know, all over the place in, in these places. You know, one of the places we took our kids that we love taking them to was Malibu Beach. Okay. Um, we took, it was right over the hill from our house in Calabasas. We go there all the time. And our last trip there before we left here for Tennessee, there was a homeless encampment there and there were literally needles on the beach. We had to leave because wow. we didn't want one of our kids to get stuck with needles. You know, mm. um, you see one, you know that there's probably more, you know, within this encampment. I doubt there's only one person doing drugs and shooting up. So um, we just had to leave. Like it's not worth the risk, yeah. you know, and you see that stuff all over. So, you know, we went to downtown actually, when I went to speak at Blexit with Candace Owens okay, in, in Los Angeles downtown. And, um, that day we got there a little bit early and we went to go eat. And when we went, we not only witnessed somebody going to the bathroom on the street in front of a business, we then witnessed the business owner coming outside, cleaning it up and pouring bleach and we asked him, we had a conversation with him. We asked him, why are you doing this? He said, the city doesn't do it. He said, I don't want anybody. I couldn't live with myself. One of my employees or one of my customers gets some kind of horrible disease oh because this isn't cleaned up yeah. and the city won't clean it up. They just leave it here for weeks. Yeah. So he said, our only option is to clean it up for them and disinfect it. You know, and mm. that's, that's, that's sort of an indictment on the whole city. That's, that's where it's gone. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I was in Los Angeles and San Francisco for the first time ever in September. So I'd heard, you know, stuff people were saying online and talking about this and talking about that. And I thought, okay, you know, a lot of it has to be exaggerated or, you know, people have their biases and things like that. And as much as I enjoyed my time in Los Angeles, one of the things that really did shock me was the homelessness, the drug use, the sort of not just the sheer numbers of people and the way that they have the, the tent cities and, you know, just tents down the road, but an open air drug use. And it was, it was the, yeah, it was the sort of the severity of it. it wasn't just the numbers, yeah. but I mean, in the UK, you've got homelessness in pretty much every town and city, but you don't see people doing heroin and crack in the street. Yeah. You don't have needles lying around on the street. Nobody can just poo in the street. You can't, yeah. set up tents wherever you want. Like that's just not, that's not allowed. That's not a thing you see here in the yeah. UK. So I was very shocked myself when I got to California and literally on my first day, I started, I started seeing this stuff. And then when I was in San Francisco, I saw the same thing. I saw so much, so much open air in public, hard drug use and then just clear signs of people with very severe mental issues. I saw somebody fighting a traffic cone. I saw people just like taking off their clothes in the street and yep. like just all this crazy stuff. It kind of felt like I was in a twilight zone. And um, I was talking to people and a lot of people did say kind of like what you're saying. A lot of people said it didn't used to be like this. You know, with me, yeah. I, don't, I don't have a reference point. It was my first time in California. No, it didn't used to be like it at all. You know, like there were literally, there were points in time where I was, we were living in LA and I would not see 
you know, any sort of crazy issue for over a year, you know, like mm. you'd see nothing. There's, you wouldn't see a homeless encampment. You wouldn't see, you'd maybe see an odd homeless person at the end of a freeway with a sign asking for, you know, money, but that was very rare even in itself. Sure. And this just sort of exploded on the city. Yeah. And what was the cause of that? What was the catalyst? I think it's a, it's, it's a, a number of things together. So okay. number one, you know, the, there's a lot of left-wing ideologies that come into play. Number one, you know, the taxes have progressively gotten, you know, more disruptive for people the higher they've gone. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the added regulation. And there's, so you're, you're pushing a lot of people out of small business, you know, and when you push a lot of people out of small business, they can't afford their homes, they can't afford their mortgage. What happens, you know, they end up out on the street, mm-hmm. you know, and so a number of the homeless people are not mentally ill. There's still a lot that are that need, you know, we need to focus on mental health, but there's a number that are just simply pushed out of being able to have their small business. And that's only mm. going to get worse now that California passed an independent contractor law that you cannot have independent contractors. Everybody has to be an employee. Um, that's only going to make the problem, you know, increase probably twofold. Yeah. But, you know, you look at some of the other things like development. Does the state of California incentivize developers to create low-income housing? They really don't. Because if a developer in California is facing all these regulations to build a building, okay, And it's already more expensive in California. Everything is, you know, the gas that they pay for their trucks that are coming to site, the minimum wage in California is higher. You know, the benefits you have to give are more expensive. You know, all these things are higher in California already. And on top of that, the city adds all of these burdensome regulations and make it more difficult and take a longer time to get your project approved. Would you rather build there or would you rather go build in Texas where there's zero state tax, there's a lower minimum wage, there's, you know, no regulatory body that, that is, you know, making it impossible to build. This is a no-brainer. The, the developer is going to want to go to a place like Texas where it's easier to develop and their profit margin's higher. Mm. You know, even if their par- profit margin's the same, they'd rather go to Texas just because it's less difficult, you know? Um, so those things all coupled together, you have very little low-income housing. Yeah. Now, what's happened too is on an economic scale, when you push out all those small businesses, you fundamentally change the economy in California. California now has the worst um, income inequality in the country. So you have basically the super rich and the super poor. Mm. The middle class is fleeing California as fast as possible. This was the first um, calendar year where more Californians left the state than um, people came in. And that's including illegal immigration. So that's a 40 year, for 40 years that hasn't happened. That happened over this last calendar year. They just had a... um, study come out uh, or a poll come out and it was a major poll. They polled like 20,000 Californians about, you know, how many of you have thought about leaving the state of California in the next three years? Four out of five said they've thought about it. Wow. Then they asked how many of you have are planning to leave in the next three years? And it was three out of five. If wow. even half of that number left California would be decimated, you know? Um, And then you look at just long-term prospects of California too. They they have, so they, they're one of a number of states that lie about their budget because they don't include pensions in their budget. They have over a trillion dollars in pensions that they have no funding for that they owe over the next period of time, over the next decade or two. You know, and those things, you couple it all together, it's a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where we've ended up. And then on top of that, you go into the social policies of 
you know, Democrats. And the social policies also say, you know, that's what's led them to say, hey, police can't go and arrest these people that are openly doing drugs in a tent because they have property Mm. rights. Yeah, you know. that Police part can't take them me. and put them in mental health facilities because it's not fair. You know, they have a right to be on the street if they want to be. Mm. You know, these are the things their social policies push. Yeah, I found that the weirdest thing. Um, I remember when I was in San Francisco, I think, and I did a long Twitter thread, which went quite viral, actually, where I was just documenting some of the things I was witnessing. And I actually got DM'd by um, three police officers that work in... I think one from Orange County, one from San Francisco and one from LA. And they were just, you know, sent each of them sent me like a long, you know, several paragraphs just explaining some of the laws and rules and what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And the whole thing just sounded totally crazy to me. I was just like, this is so weird. And then the thing I found even weirder was you know, like I said, I was in California for three weeks. I talked to a lot of people. I was taking a lot of Ubers and talking to the drivers and homelessness and things like that. And some of the issues in the cities were some of the things that always came up. But it was like, I don't know if people were being naive or dishonest, because obviously these are like super, super democratic cities, right? And it seemed like no one was putting two and two together, right? Like people were, I'd get some, nope. people, you know, they'd be complaining about Trump and they'd be complaining about this and that and somehow, and I, and then, and they'd be also be complaining about the homelessness and the problems and stuff, but they, they weren't seeing any connection between what they're voting for, like very yeah. consistently and very predictably and the results of those same policies. And I, I was very, I was very confused by that. I mean, it's weird. It's like people see the issue, but then without even any question that, you know, when the election comes up, they'll go and they'll vote for the exact same people who have been failing them and the exact same policies that lead to the things that they're complaining about. And then to make it even more stark, after my time in California, the next state I went to was Texas. So um, I went to Austin first, which was uh, sort of like a halfway house. But then I went to Dallas and I went to Fort Worth and the difference, the, the contrast was, was very, very stark, right? Yeah. Like a lot of the stuff I was seeing in California and witnessing, I, I wasn't seeing in Texas. I saw a tiny bit of it in Austin because from what I understand, they started bringing some of those same very they permissible- Californians. Yeah, they brought some of those same permissible laws over yeah. to Austin. That's what happened is Californians moved to Austin thinking yeah. this was just a California problem. It was really a- the way you vote sucks problem, you know? Yeah. And so they're finding that out now in Austin that who they vote for is why they have these problems. It, yeah, it's very, it's very odd. Um, but coming, stepping away from the, the politics for a bit, I wanted to uh, find out more about how you got into your own work. So yeah. I know you, you've directed some big music videos. You've worked with a bunch of different well-known artists and done a lot of interesting projects. How did you even get into that world? Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was probably, so when I was a kid for a long period of time, we didn't have cable. Um, we didn't have TV. 
So uh, my option was I, my grandparents had a bunch of old black and white movies and stuff like that. And I watched them all the time. And I fell in love with movies. I fell in love with the art of filmmaking. And I always knew from that young age, that's what I wanted to do is give people escapes, you know, mm -hmm. give them ways to escape and um, kind of get away from all the craziness of life. Okay. So, and then becoming a teenager, of course, I fell in love with music. And so I found this way to marry the two things I loved, music and filmmaking, you know. And so I started sneaking into shows um, and some of them I was too young for, you know, so I'd actually literally sneak in like with the artists in the back and they'd sneak <laughs> in and then I'd film their show. Okay. And um, then I'd give them, you know, I'd cut it all together at the end and I'd give it to them. And I wasn't making any money doing this. It was just like I wanted to do it. And mm. in my mind, I'm like, you know, eventually it'll pay off. So I did this um, for probably like a year while I was still doing college, uh, probably about a year, uh, maybe a little more. And then... All of a sudden, one of the bands was like, hey, our label actually gave us money to make a video. Do you think you could do it? And in my head, I'm like, absolutely not. But out loud, I was like, yeah, I could totally do it. Yeah. You know, so um, I, I did it and somehow I did do it. And um, it was it's a video that I would never show anybody now. Um, but <laughs> it was I did it and they yeah. loved it at the time. At the time, it was good. Oh, yeah. um, and um you know, so that was the beginning. And then after that, it just sort of snowballed, you know, where I, I just, I was, I wouldn't say I was more talented than other people. Um, I just worked harder than they did. You know, there were a lot of people who I think were way more talented than I was, you know, at filmmaking. But um, I literally, like, I, I didn't go out. I dedicated myself to what I did. I was reaching out to management companies, record labels, artists at all hours of the day and night. Um, trying to sort of like gin up what the next thing was, um, mm -hmm. you know, and then at a certain point it started coming to me and I didn't have to do that anymore where I had to like go out and hustle to get the jobs. So once it started coming to me, that's when I started building the actual company. Awesome. Um, yeah. What was the, what was the, who was the first big artist or band that you uh, worked with? That's actually a really good question. Um, I'm gonna have to think about that. Um, was there one where it was like, okay, this is the, the break, as they say? I mean, maybe I'm trying to think which came first. And I actually can't remember if it was Smashing Pumpkins or Snoop Dogg. But I think one of them was like the first, like, you know, like where they're, they're not like a big artist, you know, because they were big artists before that, but they're like world renowned artists, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and I have nothing, you know, super positive to say about Snoop Dogg, but we did work together. He was one of the first ones. Um, it was one of them too. I honestly, okay. my memory is so bad. I can't remember which one it was, whether it was, it was one of the S's, either Smashing Pumpkins or Snoop Dogg, which is funny because they're diametrically opposed yeah, in yeah. terms of music <laughs> um, and politics. They're diametrically opposed too. Oh, are they? I, I don't know anything about their politics. Yeah. What, what are Smashing Pumpkins politics? I'm curious now. B Billy is, Billy from Smashing Pumpkins is a little more on the, I, he's not, he, he's, he's a lot like us, very rational. You know, he, he, you know, for instance, you know, if you met him back in the Bush era, you would have thought, oh, he like hates Republicans. But now very different. You know, it wasn't okay. that he hated Republicans. He hated the Iraq war, oh, okay. um, gotcha. you know, and he hated he hated everything that went on during that period of time. But he's he's very, um, you know, friendly with people like me and Jack Posobiec, um, you know, like sort of sort of in the same vein. Um, okay, so gotcha. he's he's um, he's definitely much more of a free thinker than most people in that industry. Okay. 
So now that we're talking about the industry, I mean, of course, I'm a musician. You work on music videos. You've done work in Hollywood. Now everybody and their dog and their cat and their uncle knows that these are super duper liberal slash left wing yeah. hotspots. Um, They're so, not even liberal, though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah. Historically, maybe they were liberal. I think now they've just shifted left. Yeah, and I think they're they're, they're just left. They're just far left. You know, like they're the most illiberal people I've ever met. Yeah. At the same time, they really like you know they like capitalism for themselves very much, but they do. So it's it's a weird combination of um you know it's the same with tech companies. It's like in one sense, in one sense they're very left leaning, but in another sense it's like wait, you guys are like the biggest. You are the biggest capitalists out yeah, there. They're just like, virtue signalers. You know, they, yeah. they basically, this is how I've explained it to a lot of people is like most people in, in Hollywood and in tech, like they haven't even really thought about politics that deeply. Mm-hmm. They care about being acceptable at parties. They want that sort of public acceptability and popularity and they know how to get it. The way to get it is by behaving a certain way, virtue signaling a certain way. And part of that is hating Republicans, hating Trump and, you know, being for all the crazy, you know, left-wing social stuff, you know? So whatever that trend is, it doesn't matter if it was like, you know, cats cats shouldn't be stuck indoors, you know, keeping cats inside is inhumane. If that was the thing that was cool, they wouldn't even think about it. They'd be like, (laughs) yeah, look, I'm putting my cat outside, you know, and they'd have like a video of them taking their cat all warm inside and putting it outside in the cold. And they'd be like, see, now I'm humane. It's a wild animal. If that was the thing that was cool, they would do that. they don't really think about it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, they'd start a hashtag for that. No, no hashtag. Ironically, when I said that, my cat, by the way, showed <laughs> up. up here. She ran up here when she heard me say cats. Okay, hello, Liberty. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I mean, what was that like for you in that world? Um, we all know that it can be difficult to be someone who's more even more of like a, whether someone is like a, what I'd call a normal liberal or a centrist or a conservative or a libertarian, it seems like anyone who is not a leftist or at least pretending to be one, that it can be a difficult world to navigate for them. So how was that for you? Well, I would say before I came out, you know, um, it was easy because I just, I just shut up about politics. Mm. And that's actually kind of the the rule I generally give people is like, if you look at all the celebrities and stuff, if you find the ones that are not virtue signaling, that yeah. have said <laughs> nothing about Trump, have said nothing yeah. about social issues, <laughs> more likely than not, it's because they're Republican yep. um, or they're uh, an independent who leans right in mm. their thinking. Mm. Um, you know, but once I came out, yeah, it, it got really difficult. You know, I would say um, it was all difficult you know, in a weird way too, though, because most of it's backstabbing, you know, like it's not even something directly done to your face. It's like finding out somebody, you know, um, speaks a certain way about you, you know, after they've been your friend for a long time Mm. or losing contracts that you've had for a long time, simply because of your politics. Like we had, um, you know, BT stopped working with us because of my politics, you know, um, things like that. Like was that, is that, is that post Trump era? Yeah, that's post-Trump okay. era. Okay, so, so what, what's the timeline here? Because at what point would you 
I find it hilarious that people have to use the term coming out. <laughs> Although yeah. I have had, I have heard, um, you know, gay conservative people say that it was harder for them to come out as conservative than to come out. I've as heard that from all my gay friends. Really? Which, uh, which also wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't shock me. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, what's the, what's the timeline here? Um, I would say, so when, um, I probably started talking about it the same around the same time that Trump came down the escalator and announced that he was running. Okay. Um, I knew he would win right away. You know, that was one thing I, I knew right away. I told Landon and I, there's a tweet too about it. Like I was like, he's winning. There's no doubt he's different than everybody else. Barring some crazy unforeseen candidate coming in. He's, he's the one that's going to take this. Okay. He has the energy and the, you know, for the moment type of thing. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, so around that time is when I started talking about it. At first, it wasn't such a big deal because I think a lot of people kind of assumed that Trump was going to go away. Mm. And I think that, you know, I hadn't kind of gone deeply into it. I had just sort of been like, I support Republican policies and, and that was it. Yeah. It was really once he was elected that there was like major pushback and major, you know, anger with me from people, um, you know, and it's just, you kind of get unpersoned in a lot of ways. Like there were people that I was friends with for a long period of time and we had worked together and all this stuff and talked as, uh, as friends, you know, on yeah. a regular basis where you find out they blocked you from all social media. They, wow. you know, they blocked your phone number. And literally like that, you've been friends with this person for a decade and worked with wow. them you know, a dozen times. And, you know, all of a sudden you have a view they don't agree with and, you know, that's it for them. Is, is so this people like within is, the industry or outside or both? Yeah, in the industry. Okay. So that's, that's, you know, on both sides of the camera, on, on the, you know, celebrity side and on the non-celebrity side, it happened both ways. Okay. You know, so there's a lot of that sort of bigotry within the industry um, but then you get into sort of the unknown areas where like, there's a lot of things that happen that you don't even know about, you know, um, and you find out about some of them, but you're not going to find out about all of them in terms of the things people say and, and why they may or may not work with you or your company. Um, we've definitely seen certain areas, you know, where we worked with a client, you know, for probably 10 years and then suddenly they dropped off after I started talking about politics. They didn't say outwardly what it is. So I can't say it's because of that, mm. but there was no catalyst outside of that. Everything was going great. We had reduced their costs, you know, year over year. And, um, they were by all accounts happy with the work. So it was kind of one of those things where things like that happen suddenly you can't attribute it hundred percent to politics, but I, if, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, why do you think I would say it's probably because of that, because there was no, there was no failed production that happened. There was no issue, yeah. you know? Um, and there were a number of cases like that, but you know, there are also people who just see the value and talent and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would, I would sort of defend those people, even if I do disagree with them, um, you know, on politics, like where they're like, Hey, you know, we do good work together. I yeah. disagree with you, but that's, that's outside of this. So I'll give credit. There's people like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are a lot of people who are not like that, that are just very bigoted. Yeah. What would you say the split is in terms of, yeah, of how people, many are of no, actually of how many people are, um, you know, tolerant will discriminate how many people are tolerant and how many people would yeah. just discriminate and be like okay. i would say out of the left wing people 
how many are tolerant, how many discriminate in entertainment, I would say that um, willing to discriminate would be probably 60%. Okay. And I'd say um, people who sort of have a line of like, I'm going to keep it separated from work. I'm going to be very... Um, be very kind and say 40%, you know? Um, But that's probably me being very friendly. (laughs) It's probably worse than that. So what, what made you decide to, to come out as a Republican or a conservative or a Trump supporter or all the above? What made you decide that you need to be vocal about it? Yeah. You know, it was one of those things. I'm not one of those people that got into it, not knowing what would happen. I knew what would happen. Mm. Um, you know, and I had an idea that it would hurt, you know, my business and hurt, you know, my sort of like allure as a director and everything. Mm. Um, because at the time I, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of directors like me who, who look like me, you know, and come from the background I come from and everything. So I had sort of a good thing going for me in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and I knew I was killing that, you know, effectively by doing this. So, um, but for me, it's like, I'm a dad first and foremost, I'm a husband first and foremost. Um, and when I die one day, the most important thing to me is that my wife, my kids, that they're proud of the man that I was and that, you know, they can sort of, they can know that no matter what, that their dad and their husband were going to do what he believed to be the right thing. So sort of like an ethos of, you know, I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for pretending to be somebody I'm not. Um, And that's, that was sort of the thinking going into it. And so I had to examine, you know, like I'm also in a good position. I did well in, in work and everything. And I am, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm a very smart person. And in the worst case scenario, I can, I can do anything, you know, like I don't feel like I'm limited by the world in terms of, you know, income. So, um, I wasn't afraid of that whole side of things. And I think that I felt like, you know what, I I am in a position not a lot of people are in and I could use that to sort of be a voice for people feel like they don't have a voice and also to, you know, add to, a number of people who, you know, like us have come out and been honest about how they feel and have forged a path for other people that are younger than us that are going to come behind us that should be allowed to say what they think, whether they're what, and, and that goes both ways. If they're yeah. a socialist, if they're, you know, super to the right Republican, like, you know, or, or further than, or, I, I think people should be able to voice their opinions, yeah. you know, um, without fear that they're going to have their job taken from them and things like that. Agreed. Um, obviously, unless they're like mentally ill or something like that, you know, and they, they really need help. And I mean, I'd say generally 99% of people, their opinions should be allowed to, you know, be out there without any fear of losing their job or anything like that. Um, Well, people who have legitimately super duper insane, crazy, dangerous opinions are, you know, it's not, it's not a huge chunk of the population. It's a tiny number. Yeah. And even then I'm like, look, I'd rather know who those people are. All right. I'm Me like, too. I, I feel the same way. I'd rather know what crazy stuff they believe in. You know, yeah. um, I, I could see the argument for like, if you're the CEO of a company and you start spouting off crazy conspiracy theories, <laughs> maybe you should be fired. Um, maybe you should get, you know, remanded to get some sort of like, you know, training and then come back. Now, I understand that argument, but I also think that I would rather know that person's views. I would rather know the crazy stuff they believe in so that I can make my own individual choice to dissociate Mm -hmm. myself from that person on a personal basis. You know, that doesn't mean that I want to discriminate against them. It just means I don't want to hang out with them, you know, but I would like to know. I want to know what their views are. 
Yeah. So what do you think has led to this situation where the, I don't really like to use the terms the right and the left because I don't like to play into the sort of binary split, but for lack of a better term, what, what is it that you think has led to this stage? Because I'm not convinced it's always been like this, where the right and conservative leaning people are now more legitimately tolerant than the left side of the political spectrum, oh, right? You I, know, yeah. I, I, I wish I could like sit on one thing, but I, I think it, I think if I, if I had to boil it down, it would be that the left got sort of backed into a corner where they had to hate us so much that they had to hate everything about us. And by hating everything about us, they drove themselves to a place of being like Puritans, Mm. you know? And honestly, it was one of the things that was very unattractive about the right in America in the 80s and 90s was that they they were going through a little bit of a Puritan thing. Sure. You know, where they wanted to control people's lives on an individual basis in terms of how what sex they had, what, you know, things like that. And it was something that pushed people away. The left has sort of become Puritans in an overarching way over everything, Mm. you know, because they just want to hate us no matter what the view is, um, as long as you're supportive of of that. And the thing is, is we have such a wide net of people who are on the right that that isn't just overarching of like, oh, we hate evangelicals. It's like we hate this gigantic pot of people that, Mm. you know, is 50% of the country and we hate everything about them. When you do that and you're such a Puritan that almost nothing is allowed except for saying that like, yes, children should be able to, you know, uh, have a sex change done. If that's like the only thing that you're allowed to believe, then all these other people that are very rational are like, whoa, that's crazy. You know, um, uh, that they won't accept us. And on the right, we see that that's crazy. So we go, Hey, everybody who's not crazy, we're cool with you. You know, like mm. we're, we're fully accepting of all this, this stuff that maybe we don't even agree with a lot of it, you know, yeah. but we're cool with you, you know, yeah. like you just be allowed to voice your opinion. It's crazy that they want to shut you down. And I think that's part of what it is. It's almost created a brotherhood amongst people that don't even agree on politics mm. that like, Hey, you should be allowed to talk. Yeah, yeah, I think I think what you just hit on at the end there, I think that's the most fundamental principle, really, isn't it? It's the idea of firstly free speech, like true free speech. I mean, I think yeah. a big mistake the the leftists have sort of made is kind of giving free speech to the right. Right? Like mm-hmm. free speech free speech is a great thing to have and to defend, even for yeah. your even for people you totally disagree with, but it's almost like they've just given that as a gift to make that almost like a, yeah, to kind of make that like now a conservative position, right? They've almost taken this stance, uh, very puritanical, as you said, where it's almost like they deem it moral to not even engage with people who disagree with them. Right. So you're not even supposed to have a debate. You're not even meant to have a conversation. You're not, you're not meant to come on my podcast. You're not even meant to. And you see this now, even in the media, I've had a lot of people, you know, I had this, I don't know how many interviews I did last year, but in the past 12 months, I've been doing these crazy numbers of interviews and I've been on, you know, TV and different podcasts and interviews and things like that. 
And I have had a, quite a lot of people be like, hey, how come like you mostly go on the right wing ones? And I'm like, they're the ones who invite you. They're the ones who are Yeah, right. exactly. They're the ones I, who I've really- told everybody who's asked me, if CNN, if Don Lemon asked me tonight, I mean, I've talked all kinds of stuff on yeah. Don Lemon. If he asked me tonight to come on a show. I'd come on a show tonight yeah. and I would voice my opinion on his show. They're yeah, sure. afraid to have us on. The difference is like, I invite left-wing people all the time on our new show with, mm-hmm. with my wife, uh, Grow Up. We invite people on the left all the time. We have yet to have one accept the invitation. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. I've had- You don't um, want to debate ideas. No. And uh, sometimes it's not even like a debate. Like I'm not even, I don't even just want to like, you know, bring people on and, you know, let, yeah. let, let's, just, let's just fight or whatever. It's like, look, I'm interested in finding out more about your own ideas find yeah. some common ground and, you know, discuss. We've had that too with the gun yeah. control debate. We invited, you know, um, we invited somebody who's very prominent on their side on our show mm. to just be allowed to state your opinion. This isn't a fight, not a debate. We're just letting you know we're having somebody from the other side on that is very pro-gun. So mm. we want to be very fair and have somebody from the other side and state their opinion. We asked, you know, this one person who had said previously that they would do it. Once they were asked to actually do they, it, they though, they flake. were like, no, I'm not going to go on a show like they that. always flake. Yep. I've had that, I've had and, that before. So we asked a number of other people mm-hmm. on, on the left. None of them would do it. Nobody would come and actually defend that position or just state it. Like, they don't yeah. even really need to defend it. Just state your case and let people see the two things juxtaposed alongside each other. Um, but you're totally right. They either flake or they just won't do it. Yeah, it's it's something. It's it's like the pattern is so strong now. Not just of me, but yeah. other people. I yeah. know whether you're talking about, you know, people refusing to go on. Um, like I know, for example, um, Ben Shapiro does his Sunday special. I know he invited. I think all of the Democratic candidates. The only ones that did it was Andrew Yang, right? Yep. Yeah, and he, you know, he invited some of them. Said yes, and then they pulled out later. You know, I, I know. Um, Candace Owens was supposed to have what's what's that woman's name? Jamil. Jamila Jamil, something like that. Something right. Like she was that. supposed to come on and then she flaked and said, Oh, um, you've said some stuff that will make my transgender audience feel unsafe or something like that. So I'd, so right, they, they they just bottle it, right? They just they just so flake. And it's very weird. I think a lot of it also seems to just be a lot of it just seems to be like maturity, you know, just, yeah. just the maturity to be an adult and be like, look, man. I can disagree with you and yeah. still like you and we can still be cordial. We can yeah. be civil, we can be friends, et cetera, everything like this. Whereas it's like this immature idea of, Oh, you know what? Like if you don't align with me 100% on all of these 10, 15, 20 issues, then puritanical. Sorry? Yeah, it's, it's immature and puritanical. No, mm. the whole thing is, you know, they're, they're just like, they really, they approach the whole thing like Puritans. Like if anybody's going to be offended by your view, I can't talk to you. Yeah. It's so strange, man. I mean, like, uh, you know, me like, it would be, it would be like, I don't know, I'm, I'm a Christian, right? And imagine if I, I refuse to engage with anyone who doesn't share my precise religious views, right? Yeah. And I just condemn them and I, I refuse, I won't even engage. Yeah. I, I won't defend my position. I won't let them express theirs, anything like that. I mean, most people can see why that would be totally ridiculous. And I think the same notion politically, when I'm hearing stories of families breaking up or marriages breaking down because one of them, one of them likes Trump and the other one doesn't or this or that. I mean, in the UK, you've got it with Brexit. You've had, you know, people no longer being friends with each other because one of them voted remain, one of them voted. And to me, I'm just like, this is, 
this is insane. Like this is, it's so, it's incredibly immature. That's the thing that really hits me. I'm just like, that is so, so, so immature. And it's also the opposite of tolerance, right? It's like you're, you're, it's almost like everything they say or claim to believe in, they're demonstrating the opposite, right? You're saying, you're saying we're tolerant and then you're being deeply intolerant. You're saying we're kind and then you're calling everybody who disagrees with you Nazis or evil or bigots or racists or all of the above, like very vicious terms. You're saying you like diversity. And then as as soon as someone steps out of line in terms of their thinking and their ideas, then you ostracize them. You're saying you like... um, you're saying you like black people and minorities. And then as soon as a black person or a minority voices a view that's conservative or libertarian leaning, suddenly you're calling them racial slurs. I mean, it's the whole thing is just so backwards to me. And it's weird because it seems some elements of that maybe have always been there, but it seems like it's relatively new. It seems relatively new. It is. Yeah, it is at least in popularity. You know, I think on the fringes, maybe it existed before, but I think everybody laughed at it like they're crazy before. Now it's yeah. like that's what's in vogue on the left. You know, so um, you know, it's it's just honestly it's strange. I mean, you know, think about this. I always think about the ways that their ideas and their virtue signaling collapse on themselves. You know, mm-hmm. so they claim that you know they're just the most anti-racist people ever. How many times have you, as a black man, been called a racist by a white liberal? Uh, I've been called worse than that. Yeah. I'm Hispanic. And I can't count the number of white liberals who have called me a racist Mm -hmm. against Hispanic people. And I'm like, do you guys understand? Especially when talking about immigration, I'm like, do you guys understand? that over half of our border patrol officers are Hispanic. I'm yeah. Hispanic. We don't hate Hispanic people. Yeah. I was raised by Hispanic people. Of course. You know, there is nothing about the belief system that is about targeting brown bodies, which is this thing that they say. They're like, you're targeting brown bodies. They use such weird phrases, don't they? They use the weirdest words ever. You yeah. know, it's like, ah, what are you even talking? Just say against a person. You yeah, know, the, they're a person. They're not a body. The body you know, freaks uh, me out. I don't get that. It, it freaks me out, too. <laughs> it really does. I'm like, I imagine that they have a bunch of bodies hanging in their it's closet really or something. Strange. And like, it's, it's really weird. I feel like that's the least important thing about who we are. Like, I think about people as like, how do they behave? What mm. is their behavior? You know, I love the old quote about... Um, there's two races, the decent and the indecent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's really the best way to go through life is, is like, is this a decent person or is it an indecent person? Like for me, I consider myself an American success story, you know, like this is one generation and I've already built this great life, you know, and had this great success. I had every reason to claim to be a victim and say that I couldn't be successful. I grew mm-hmm. up with an alcoholic dad who was not a good person. You know, my mom was sick as a child and bedridden, you know, and my, you know, my family, my mom didn't speak English when she came here. She was made fun of on a constant basis for the first couple months as she was, had broken English, you know, 
and stuff. I could have, you know, internalized all of this and been like, oh, I'm a victim. I, I, you know, have every reason not to, to survive, you know, in this world and it's not fair. You know, I was diagnosed with lupus, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as a 12 year old. So I had every reason to be like, oh, I'm such a victim, but that's not who I am. I'm not any of those things. Those are not the state of my being. I know what matters to me and like what I care about. And I think that that's the worst, most poisonous thing about leftism right now is that it boils people down to rewarding victimhood. You know, they want to give people excuses not to be the best they can be. That's why you see so many people on the right are pushing inspirational things. They're like, I want you to be the best you can be. And I genuinely feel that way. I want everybody that I know to do better this year. I want them to achieve their dreams. Everything I see on the left is a reflection of the opposite. Mm -hmm. They seem to want to give people reasons for why they're not good enough, why they're not making enough money, why they're not going to get their dream. You know, all those things, you know, it's just, it it creates a very unattractive sort of negative feedback loop. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a, I think that's one of the most core reasons why I lean right more than I lean left is that I'm an optimist. Right. And I, right. I feel like, especially, you know, the further left someone goes, the more the whole ideology becomes based on not just identity politics, but based on the whole, I mean, this ties into it, the whole oppressor and victim narrative, right? If that, if that narrative dies, like here, here's, here's, let me break it down. I think this is the reason why people like myself, yourself, Candace, anyone, right. Anyone who is sort of according to their rule book is supposed to be on their side and is supposed to be a victim and who totally rejects that and breaks that narrative. I think that's why you get such hostility because it's like you are, you know, you might get the same with a certain women or whatever. And it's like, look, you're supposed to be, according to them, you're supposed to be here but you're yeah. you're just you're just destroying all of these narratives just by almost just by existing you're killing yeah. these narratives it's like you're stealing something from them yeah let alone when you go online and you say oh hey you know what right like regardless of uh, yeah. your race your gender your sexuality whatever you can succeed you can do well yeah. these things aren't going to hold you back society's not going to hold you back right yep. it's you're just crushing you're literally crushing everything that the whole ideology is based on because they need to keep Black mad at white, poor mad at rich, woman mad mad at man, gay mad yep. at straight. Right? If you actually had cohesion, then the whole thing falls but apart. Like, what would never be elected ever again if there no, there's, there's not. There's literally nothing to sell at that point. Yeah. There's nothing. They'd have to become yeah. a centrist party, which actually may be attractive. You know, that may be an attractive thing to have a centrist party. Um, and I would argue right now, actually, that's part of why your Republicans are becoming more attractive is because they're turning into more of a centrist party. That's true. You know, they've, they've dropped a lot of the stuff that, that kind of pushed people away in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've gone to a much more centrist place. You know, you look at, um, you know, I think that, that that's happening for a lot of conservative parties around the world that are sure. coming into power is they've dropped a lot of the stuff that was unattractive in the 80s and 90s. They've completely dropped the Puritan stuff. And that's what's pulling people in is that like, you can be you and we accept you. You don't have to be perfect. You, you're going to say the wrong words sometimes. You're, you're not going to think the right things sometimes. We have space to learn as human beings. And I think that's what's attractive is that like, you can just be you. Yeah. And I think, okay. And we, we were talking about the free speech thing. I think with that, another mistake that they've made is they've given 
um, you know, they're so stuck on political correctness now over on the left side of the spectrum that they've given almost like they've, they've kind of given the, the sense of humor and the possibility of humor and having fun and, and making mistakes and being forgiven. Again, they've sort of handed that over, right? I, yeah. I, I might tweet this later, right? I was thinking earlier today, like, man, thank God I've never been a leftist because, you know, every day I'd just be walking on eggshells thinking, oh crap, like, can yeah. I, can I tweet this? Can I, I use this word? This. Can I say this thing? And, and I'm like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to live like that. You're looking at comedians and they're trying. Yeah. It's like, you can't even, you can't even have fun. You can't take any risks. Even if you say something now, someone's going to dig it up in five years time and say, oh, yeah. look at this word you used in 2020. In 2025, this word is now no longer allowed. So we're going to yeah. retroactively cancel you. On Twitter, I saw someone had dug something up that Piers Morgan wrote in the 80s. In the 80s, okay? And he'd, um, he'd call, I don't know if you'd know the term, right? In, um, in the UK, like, you know, decades ago especially, they used to use the term puff to describe um, a gay guy. Okay. Yeah. And even at the time, even at the time, it wasn't like super duper offensive, right? It was just kind of like something, even now, if I hear it, it's not like, I don't know, maybe gay people obviously have have a different view on this, but it's not like a super strong, powerful slur, but he'd used it in an article and literally someone was trying to like throw this one at him. And it's like, it's literally 30 years old. Crazy. I mean, it's crazy. You're, it's you're, crazy. Try, you're trying to, you're trying to, you're trying to pin someone on something that they wrote 30 years ago, which they've already said, oh, yeah, I wouldn't use that word today, but in the eighties, that was just what everybody said. Like you could say that in a yeah. newspaper and yeah. it could be printed in a newspaper. Nobody thought about it twice. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, how, how ridiculous are you, are you going to be like, where does that, where does that end? I also, I have to say on an individual basis, like I'm not offended when people say stuff to me. And I know that this is different for everybody, but like for me, I can say, you know, I, I've been called a lot of names in my life and mm. none of them have hurt my feelings. None of them. Yeah. I've been called, you know, gay slurs, even though I'm not gay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's long hair, you know, yeah. um, and my great sense of style. No, but I've been, I've been, you know, those slurs have been called Hispanic slurs. I get called, you know, names all the time mm. by people, you know, especially on social media. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Like I'm not offended. You know, I, I personally don't understand why people allow it to hurt them because I do think it's a conscious choice we make to allow things to hurt us or not. Yeah. And I think the less power you give those words, the less, you know, you pay attention or, or allow it to have power, the less people are going to use them. People use Mm -hmm. them because they like the feedback they get, you know, and you're allowing feedback because you're the one giving it. Mm -hmm. So if people don't give the feedback, I feel like that's the best way to kill all this stuff. You don't want to hear slurs. Don't give feedback, you know? Yeah, no, that's totally true, man. And again, you know, I think a lot of that just stems from, you know, emotional maturity, man. You're an, you're an emotionally mature dude. So you understand, you know, it's not, you're not, five year five years old and on the playground if someone especially if it's someone who you you don't even know who they are it's some random avatar on social media decides to call you a name it's like or even a random person in real life you don't know what their motivation is especially in a position like you're in or i'm in you know people try to say things to 
try to get a rise out of you because they mm. want you to look a certain way. They want you to fit a, a trope or so, you know, whatever it is. Sure. And I feel like people just have to rise above it. And, and, you know, like think about how foolish that person looks, you know, there was a situation like probably like five years ago where Landon and I flew in um, somewhere and we went to go get lunch. And when we went there, it was next to a Walmart and this guy came out of the Walmart and he called me, um, uh, a faggot, you know, that's, that's what he called it. He said it like twice. And I was like, wow, he looks so stupid. And, you know, and I was like, does he understand that everybody can see my wife right next to me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, he, just, just, he just said it randomly. Just randomly, <laughs> just randomly, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, it wasn't a political thing cause this was before politics, Yeah, yeah. you know? came out openly this was just a random person being a douchebag yeah. <laughs> you know and it just it had no effect on me like i just thought how ridiculous does he look this is kind of yeah. funny to me yeah you know them look bad and it made them look stupid like mm. I, I don't understand the people would be like well how dare he i'm gonna go over there and fight him you know it's like mm. i don't have, why he looks dumb already why would i go fight him you know it doesn't make any sense to me if he does something to my wife or my children then you know that's a different yeah. story but like to me it doesn't bother me you know like it just i think it's silly look i think with insults i my perspective on them is look if you call me something that i'm not it's not going to bother me cuz i'm not that thing right yeah and if you call me something that i am then i'll just agree and amplify i'll be like oh yeah you're right yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Um, there is one insult that I respond to, though. There's okay. one insult I respond oh, you're, to. Oh, you're, you're going to give people, people ammo. Say, when people say you're an idiot and they spell your wrong, I do respond. <laughs> I do respond to that to correct them on how to spell your. Um, it, you know, that, that's the only thing. I enjoy that. It's a personal enjoyment thing. It's yeah. like, it feels like a little mini vacation for me to get to correct somebody on that. So yeah. um, that's the only one that I, I really do get personal enjoyment out of. I, I hear you, man. Awesome, bro. I'm just looking at the time. We're just uh, coming up to an hour now. So let people know where they can find and follow you online on social media. And of course, I know you've also got your new show grow up now. So uh, give that a little plug. Yep. So uh, easiest place to find me, you know, my thoughts on a daily basis would be Twitter at Robbie Starbuck, R-O-B-B-Y-S-T-A-R-B-U-C-K. Um, and then our show, the easiest place to find it is on my YouTube, which is the same thing, youtube.com slash Robbie Starbuck. Um, the Grow Up episodes are posted there and you'll see on the right hand side, the tab for the Grow Up show itself. That channel doesn't have like a, you know, hashtag name yet. So you just have to click it and you can subscribe there. But um, yeah, thanks for having me on today. Awesome, Robbie. Really good to talk to you, bro, as always. Thank you. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me and destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.